You are listening to the Religica Theo Lab podcast in the Center for Ecumenical and Interreligious Engagement at Seattle University. This is Michael Reed Trice with Religica. The Teze community has become one of the world's most important sites of Christian pilgrimage with a focus on youth. Over 100,000 young people from around the world make a pilgrimage to Teze each year. Recently, I had an opportunity to sit down with brothers John and Emil in order to ask them about the nature of sacred space. You might be surprised by their responses. Take a listen. certainly very true eh, that prayer softens the heart because people who notice that, people who cannot forgive, for example, they say they cannot pray. You're not allowing the passage of, of, of love in you, of compassion in you. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes very difficult to pray. I think it's often in the Desert Fathers are not mistaken. They ask that question you know, when people mm. cannot pray. Is there someone you cannot forgive? Prayer softens the heart. A little bit like the, the psalm says, no? so there's a psalm that says that Psalm 72 comes down like, the rain that softens the earth. Mm-hmm. And, and so we, we need that contact with realities that prepare us to receive new life. And it's soft. after the hard winter, the earth is often rigid and it needs to be softened. Sacred sites from a number of different religious traditions that have been attacked in our own lifetimes. I'm thinking of Newtown, Connecticut to Christ Church, New Zealand. These are places where people gather to be connected with one another with God. As you reflect on on Teze, what makes a site sacred? I think it's probably because people have been in that place, being open to this other, which is God, and tried to celebrate that and discover that over a long period of time. So it's, it's over time, human beings need reminders, things that help them enter into this other dimension. So For example, in Teze, when the church was built, this Church of Reconciliation in 1962, people said it reminded them of a big barn. Up till then, the brothers had had prayed in the Romanesque church in the village, which went back to the 12th century, and there you felt a sense of presence. And they went into this concrete barn and prayed, and it it really felt very different. Today, you wouldn't say that at all. After 40, 40 years, 50 years, you wouldn't say that at all. When people go into the church in Teze, I think they feel this presence. It's because for 40 or 50 years, thousands of people and the brothers have been praying three times a day there. So it's it's not the place in itself as if a place has a certain magic by itself, but it's because it's become a site where people have tried to be attentive to the absolute of God. Mm-hmm. And we saw the emotion when Notre Dame burnt in Paris mm-hmm. a few months ago and uh, people weeping on the street and... Losing a very special place. And I'm all for rebuilding Notre Dame and people giving and being attentive to these very special sites that are part of our history. But I think of the people also. Mm-hmm. Everyone is a temple of God, mm-hmm. every person. And the refugees that we have welcomed at Teze in the last years, especially those running away from countries at war, taking great risks, you know, they are also the temple of God. And the, these are the people we have to be attentive to today. I think that's the wish that Pope Francis has, that, that every church in the world, every parish feel that there's a call. There's a call for us. 
And our surprise at Tizay as we welcome these refugees was we are presented often with the problem of migrants and refugees. What we have seen is how they have been so helpful in our region. For example, our small rural area, before welcoming them, we asked all the inhabitants of our village and the next village. We went with the mayor of the towns, both towns, to, to visit every single family to see if they had any Not a single family objected mm-hmm. to, to welcoming them. And we have seen how people who were not interested in the church came knocking at our door saying, we can teach French, we can help with this, we can help with that. And I don't know if we realize how much these people can create new possibilities for our churches to get out of our ghettos and be more in touch with reality and, and, and with people who are maybe not people of faith, but are willing to help it could create many, many new possibilities to work. If we understood every person as a sacred site, if we understood refugees as the equivalent of Notre Dame, fleeing from something, a conflagration that's chasing them, we would see our humanity and respond to our humanity quite differently, wouldn't we? Yeah, for sure. That's why religion can sometimes be (laughs) the biggest obstacle to discovering the reality of God, because we get fixed on places or we get fixed on expressions of texts or whatever. All of these things are wonderful and have played a great role. But the danger is always that they become idols that keep us from seeing what God is doing in front of us. Then, for example, in in the welcome of refugees and so many different things that's happening right before our eyes. If we follow this extended metaphor just a little further, every refugee is a site that's also an opening to possibility. The gifts that they're each bringing individually, as you're mentioning, we have to somehow come to terms with this in the world, don't we? Not just today, but If the future is what we think it may well be, we're going to see more and more refugees crossing the countries, the nation states of the world. How do we prepare for this kind of welcoming? We cannot love what we do not know. And the only way to come out of our fears is to get to know the stories of some of these people. I'm amazed at the stories of some of these people of Sudan, South Sudan, Afghanistan, Syria, Iraq, that we have seen at Tizay in the last few years. They are people with stories that blow you away, because they've been through so much and they're still standing. Mm -hmm. They're still standing. They've left everything. They've lost many people they love. They've seen friends drown in the Mediterranean, and they're still standing. Many of them that we've seen have such a strong sense of relationship, of friendship. And so I think we need to get out of this idea, as I said earlier, of this is just a a problem to address. We have to see that, that we can receive something from these people that are coming. We have a lot to receive. And how are we going to get out of our individualism in the West, our life centered on leisure? Maybe these people will help us. We've seen a number of communities who have experienced an attack on the places where they feel most spiritually safe or those places where they feel like they can thrive. So right up the street from where we're standing, there was a synagogue in March of 2018 that was attacked. And anti-Judaic, kind of anti-Semitic words were scribed on the walls of the old sanctuary. And that community left those words on the walls for a few days because they wanted it to also be a witness to the community of what the residue of an attack feels like, looks like. Take the hate off the wall, but it's still there in terms of what's happening in society. For those communities that have experienced this, and when you think of your work, What can be an important response on the other side of attack that we need to be mindful of as sacred sites in the world? If 
were attacked or persecuted uh, for places or destroyed and so on. Of course, this is absolutely horrible because it cuts right at the heart of, of what we believe and in our life. Huh? So it's, it's the most horrible thing. But then the question becomes, how do we respond? I always remember the words of Thomas Merton, the American monk that many people still know, who said after World War II, he was a little bit afraid. If we use the weapons, adversaries, in the end, we become like them. Mm-hmm. And so the call is how not to let ourselves be infected by this hatred in whatever way, even if we don't go to the point of physical violence. But if if we close off our hearts, if we divide people into the good and the bad, if we do the same thing that the people who attacked us are doing, even in a more subtle way, then we become infected by their evil. And so the, the call is, how do we discover another way of responding that opens new possibilities, you know, however that can be. And of course, it could take a long time and a lot of inner work and so on. But the, the question is how not to be infected. Well, I think John said it very well, didn't he? It's often my question in countries where Christians are a minority, for example, it could be Jews, it could be Christians, it could be people of other faiths, but yes, we say remain in that country. Yes, of course, remain, but but to be witnesses to what? Mm -hmm. To be witnesses to love, to forgiveness, not to be infected, as John said, with the hatred, so to be witnesses of of our different reality. Mm -hmm. Is there a question that you would say, this is the question that we in the world need to take to heart? The question that comes to mind now for me is that how can we realize that God is opening paths of hope for us, but that they are only accessible if we open our hearts and listen to all those who we encounter, that it's not individually that we're going to move forward, but how can we find ways of moving forward together? I would say this question, we could all ask ourselves this question, what is required to build trust today? You've been listening to the Religica Theolab podcast in the Center for Ecumenical and Interreligious Engagement at Seattle University. To learn more about the center's work and for resources to be used in local communities, visit us at seattleu.edu slash the center.